yeah, I'm probably going to be getting a Switch at some point. Um, I have not gotten it yet. That whole three houses, Fire Emblem thing does look pretty damn sexy. It's pretty good, I gotta say. Fighting monsters, controlling Arby's, and dating in high school. All like fantasies of things that I've never done. <laughs> oh, same. Welcome to Prokazatsu, Two Brothers Exploration of Tokuzatsu Shows and Related Media. My name's Sam. And I'm Harry. And I apologize to Sam for maybe roping him into some uh, family fun time, aka aka helping mom build a shed. Yeah, yeah, that was not exactly how I anticipated uh spending my Sunday morning. I I expected my Sunday morning to be unconscious. Instead it was with power tools in a backyard, which is uh, almost the opposite of unconscious or if it is unconscious then you're in a you're about to be in a very bad way i mean i had been there for a couple hours by the time you showed up and also i'd helped on like multiple days before but like you know it's hey it, that's whole that's part of family is uh getting roped into stuff that yeah maybe didn't want to have to do <laughs> yeah speaking of which common writer guy what uh mm. No, I, I mean, that doesn't fit, but whatever. Kamen Rider Gaim, we're starting with that this time, because Gokaiger was kind of climactic. Yeah, it definitely was. And, you know, Gaim, I'm having fun with Gaim, although I still don't quite know what to make of Gaim. As a show, Gaim is still elusive to me as to what it is going to be in the future, and, and even what it is now. Because we kind of know a little bit of the future, and how it gets to that future versus where it is now, like, a lot needs to happen. In a lot of these shows, when you see the first episode, you could kind of be like, okay, so they're going to fight these guys, and then stronger guys show up, and there's some minor twists, but then they go. But Coward Rider Guy, uh, this plot goes places, and we're just getting started here on episode five, Revival, Ichigo Arms of Friendship. Yeah, so, uh... As we start this episode, we kind of get a little bit of a flashback from uh, the previous episode. I'm realizing now, and I guess it took me it took me like three weeks of uh, watching this show to realize this, that every episode seems to start in media res uh, from the exact point that the previous episode started. I think that's happened with every episode so far. Yep, there's not really discrete arcs. It's just a story that keeps going. And that's... That's interesting. Like, it, it's very interesting formatting. Like, uh, they almost have to write to, you know, the split scene for, like, an ending close. So I'm not sure if they're going to be able to maintain that level of, you know, uh, that that requires a lot of momentum. It requires a lot of delicacy in the in the touch of the editing and the plotting uh, to make that make sense every week. And uh, where we ended last week, Michi, a.k.a. Misusane, had just transformed into common, into armored rider Ryugen, a mm. Chinese-themed uh, gun-toting fighter. Yes, uh, Chinese-slash-grape-themed. Yeah, he, he has the grape uh, lock seed. Yeah, he also has a gun, and, <laughs> and he shoots a lot of Pokemon with it. Yeah, like, really going all the way to my analogy in the first episode of, what if he just brought a gun to a Pokemon battle? Uh, apparently it's legal, um... Uh... 
because <laughs> like because it it seems to work. Uh, the leader of the oh, I really need to learn some names, Harry. Like Harry, you remember a couple shows ago where you made me a flowchart of people's names? Can can you do that again? Uh, all right, I'll work on it. But this is this is uh, this is glasses. Yeah, you, you could call him glasses. He, uh, Jonichi of Team Invito. And uh, he he tries to talk and say like, "Oh no, this is this is just posturing. I'm definitely going to win here." But in his eyes, you can see like he he knows he's doomed. Yeah, he straight up says like, "This guy's all show. Go get him, Pokemon." And he clearly doesn't realize what shows he's on quite yet. <laughs> Michi uses uh Cold Forty Five on Squirtle. It's super effective. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that fight doesn't last very long. And then we cut to a commercial for the Gaim's official music video release. Buy the CD and be invited to the release party. Yay. So when we come back into the show proper, Mai is uh, doing some dancing on a stage. Yeah, Michi is really, really paying attention. Like, I'm not sure. Like, we know that stuff happens to Mai in the future. She probably dies or turns into some kind of time wizard. So this crush is going to be doomed, right? I mean, maybe. Uh, it, but like, It's also Michi... kind of a baby crush, like, because he's still in high school. And Mai seems to be in her, what, like, mid-twenties? I, I think they're at the same age. Like, it's weird that they're, the way I interpret it, everybody is at the same age. I don't know why Mizusani is the only one still in school. Uh, maybe it's a college and not a high school? I don't know. Like, it would make sense if they all just graduated and are doing something like that. Yes, only one of them has a job. Only one of them is in school. Everyone else is just kind of listless, having no careers and no prospects. But dancing in the streets! And playing Pokemon. I mean, that's how the Pokemon world kind of works. Like, what do, what do those people do? Oh, they poke a battle. And yeah, then they, well, they mug people during Poke battles. <laughs> yeah, well, what do you think happens at this show, Sam? <laughs> uh, you dance on the street and then mug people? Kind of. But what uh, is happening to Michi right here is that it he, uh, Mai, fades away. And things start getting kind of weird and wavy. And then Mystery Future Girl, or maybe not Future, I don't know, that... Uh, walks on from screen left and says, you know, be warned, you're grasping for the reins of fate, continue down this path, and there will be no going back. Yes. And, and Michi literally says, but maybe that'll make a, a girl notice me? Mm, I'll bear that burden, I'll suffer however I must. Mm-hmm. And future girls just sighs and fades away. And then he wakes up, and Harry, holy shit, this was in a dream! Yeah. Like, the, the ghost my ghost future dead my Time Lord Mai appeared to him in a dream. That doesn't count. You cannot be contractually obligated to follow through with the stuff you agree to in a dream. That is such future entrapment. Uh, maybe the show is kind of unfair. Does Ghost Future Mai talk anyone out of, like, wearing a belt at any point in the show? Like, does this, does this speech work on one single person in this entire series, Harry? Like, give me that spoiler now. I'm honestly not sure if she keeps trying after this point. Yeah, like we'll, we'll like she, she doesn't she, she doesn't show up for uh like any of the other common writers who show up in this episode. I I don't think she really cared about them. <laughs> so that's so unfair. Yep, they're back at the clubhouse. Yes, Mai says that if we want to keep dancing the way we want, we're going to have to fight for it. And Michi is going over the crazy feudal alliance that Baird has built up. He's got uh, Raid Wild, Invito, and Pop-Up working for him. And then yesterday, Soten and Red Hot also joined. So most of the city's beat riders are working for him. 
and you know he almost rules the weird street dense city i still have no idea what the economics of this are harry yeah like what is uh, the point I mean, it's still unclear to the people involved, because one of them says, well, can't we just join his alliance and then be, like, still dancing? And Michi says, no, if anyone joins him, he just takes their best dancers and makes them be his backups. I have a line here that someone says, power always has a price to pay. Is that, was that Michi, or is that Baron? That that was Michi, because immediately after Kota shows up and kind of tries to talk to him, saying, like, hey, uh, these belts are serious business. I went into another dimension and got curb stopped by a weird melon samurai maybe this is something something bad but michi says you know like this this belt is the only way i'm able to you know be myself do the stuff i want in life you know and uh i I just feel super trapped i gotta do this yeah and then all right it's at that point that we cut to the uh baron (laughs) the baron hangout uh where he's just kind of sitting at a table practicing close-up magic like harry (laughs) I love this character trait. He's just sitting there flipping cards. Jonichi is sad because when you lose a invest game or armored rider fight, whatever, you lose your lock seeds. And he's just coming to beg for Baron because, like, you said you'd give us as many as we need. Come on. And Baron, just as sad, is like, oh, you're so pathetic. Playing the ruler hasn't been as rewarding as I'd hoped. <laughs> uh, I, wrote, I wrote that note down, too. That's such a great line. Well, he has lots of great lines coming up, Jonichi. Uh, says, why did you even start this then? And Baron says, because I can't stand situations that look like this. And kind of dramatically scatters the cards on the ground. The weak <laughs> roaming free, infesting the streets, while the strong going unrecognized amongst the rabble. It's pathetic. It makes my stomach churn. Should the weak be banished from the streets? I'm not so heartless as to believe that. But they must know their place. I love that the slides are being delivered by a guy who is all about street dancing and close-up magic. (laughs) He is about street dancing, close-up magic, and murdering his enemies. Yes, those who are ill-content in these confines cannot be called weak, and I'm going to be testing Team Gaim personally. Uh, Do you think in this timeline he, like, assassinated David Copperfield? Like, has this guy put out a hit on Penn & Teller? Like, who does he consider his mortal enemies? David Blaine. Oh, yeah, David Blaine. So, Jonichi just, he goes to the, the fruit bar with uh, Hase from Team Raid Wild. And is, you know, feeling kind of, this Faustine bargain has immediately turned on them, and they're feeling kind of down in the dumps. Yeah, some dancers are kind of already rebelling from this alliance. This alliance that is two episodes old. Baron is not a people person. Uh, but But he wants to be. Or, he wants to be a warlord, but he wants his subjects to just blindly follow him. Alright, Sam, I gotta say, this episode, and like the alliances and stuff going on, it made me think so much of T.I. <laughs> and similar stakes, except with a little bit more murder. <laughs> like, the, the whole climax of this episode is 100% how things go down, and we'll get it when we get there. Uh, it only goes, that, Harry, it only goes that way because you don't stick with me as an alliance. If you actually <laughs> stick with me as an alliance, we would win every game of Twilight Imperium. Or, You're one of us would point. win, one of us would get second. You're making my point for me. No, but Harry... We'll, we'll get there. Are, are you saying that I'm on Team Baron? Maybe I should be on Team Baron. I would be Baron's right-hand man. I would be so solid with him. And he. we would go to the end. We would win this war. <laughs> and then you get shot in the back by your friends because they don't care. <sighs> we'll get there. 
Jonichi, like, he points out to Hase that Baron basically thinks we're his pets. He doesn't care about us at all. And Hase is like, oh, yeah, well, screw that guy. We just got to get on the same level. Uh, Sid, the super evil lock dealer, is passing by at that moment. And he turns and gives a knowing look. <laughs> uh, do you think he's like, do you think he's been hanging out outside the Baron base because he knows that that's where all the dance leaders are? And the dance leaders seem really interested in trying on the belts. He kind of just hangs out at that fruit bar. Like, he's just, he just has like a room in the back where he gets, uh, you know, orange slices sent to. And he sells weird extra dimensional weapons to teenagers for their dance fights. Is the Baron base above the juice bar? I, I don't, I don't know how, like, is he rich? How did he rent out like a, a big old building? What are the economics of this, Harry? Like, how are people getting money? So, and anyway, cut to Mai. Like, Mai, in this whole episode, is desperately trying to point out, like, hey, you know, we gotta focus on our dancing, you know, this whole thing is for dancing, so let's practice, put in more work and stuff like that. And she's practicing in front of some glass, trying to get some moves down. And uh, the main character comes in to talk with her about how dangerous the belts are, uh, but uh, Mai is surprisingly okay with Michi fighting. I mean, she she wasn't beaten up in a weird mystery forest. And uh, she says, like, hey, Michi is an, an idiot like you. He's not going to push himself too hard. Uh, let's remember this slide later in the series. Yeah, let's remember the slide like two minutes from now. We both want to keep dancing, so we're prepared to fight to protect our stage. And, like, we're fighting for ourselves for what we, what we want to do. That's what's different between us. And, um, and uh, you know, we were beaten down by a weirdly judgy sister, so we're able to find balance in our lives. And uh, I'm going to support Michi with all my heart. Oh, such a tragic, tragic love story between Mai and Michi. Is a main character, is a main character attracted to Mai at this point? Uh, I'll say the series is, so, I mean, we make lots of jokes, and I feel like the fandom as a whole makes lots of jokes and, like, references and stuff to, like, you know, uh, subtle gay relationships, you know, Philip and Shotaro, uh, Joe and Marvelous, stuff That's, like that. Those aren't subtle, Harry. Yeah, 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 I mean, you get, like, they, they, they do lots of, they do lots of teasing and stuff with characters and stuff. They do that... This series is way more het hetero, except because, like, they kind of got it all out with one character later. Except maybe Baron has, like, a hate crush on Kota and Team Gaim. Because, <laughs> like, right now he showed up and, like, I'm gonna challenge you. Let let's fight. Let's be strong in the streets. And on that subject, uh, Baron challenges uh, Michi to a fight. They both transform. And Baron starts summoning monsters to fight on his behalf. Turns out that the warring driver can summon fully materialized Inves. Because uh, Baron, he he has been fig figuring out the exact powers of his uh, driver. And so Michi versus Baron with uh, two monsters on his side. It does not go well for Michi. Michi starts to get his ass handed to him. He's a ranged specialist. He really needs somebody to tank and draw aggro. But instead he's getting mobbed. Yeah. And uh, as a team guy was watching this, uh, the main character shows up, whose name I still don't know. Harry, I really need that sheet. And... Uh, Mai uh, starts to give him a little bit of guilt trip, and he eventually agrees to put on his belt and jump into the fight. Uh, he realizes that, you know, I'm going to fight for myself now, and I'm going to transform this power because it's locked to my DNA. I'm the only person who can do this, so this is my responsibility now. He tears open the... The, the, the invest game can create force field walls now. I'm not sure if this ever comes up again. I mean, it kind of explains how, like, no one was being murdered before when the Invis uh, were being summoned. Well, they were, they were breaking out of the walls all the time anyways. But yeah, so he jumps in and starts fighting, and uh, they take out the monsters. 
and the main character starts dropping truth bombs about friendship on Baron, while also dropping, like, you know, fist bombs on him. Strength isn't just being a big jerk and showing off. You can also inspire people, fill them with courage, you know. You can, basically, you can do teamwork. That's a possibility, and you can you can be strong for someone else's sake. See, Harry? Like Twilight Imperium. If we are strong together, we will win every Twilight Imperium game. I don't know why you never sign on to my alliance. <laughs> Speaking of alliances, uh, Jonichi and Hase, uh, they were kind of standing in the bushes watching, and then they ran up saying like, hey, I don't think two-on-one is a good idea, boss. You may not have noticed, but we've been busy. And they transform. Yep, we got two fucking new common riders right now. It's a pinecone and an almond? Acorn. Acorn. Pinecone and acorn. Like, this fight is not at all resolved when we cut away for the final scene of this episode, which is Sid in a limo ride with Takatora, the melon knight. And they're talking a little bit. Uh, uh, the man mentions that there are now six experimental belts that uh, they want to get onto the scene. And if we do a little quick math, uh, there are currently five in the field. I'm assuming that his was not included in that six. Uh, no, it wasn't. The, he, it's That's not a testing belt. That's like for personal use only. They're, they have six to give out to random Joes. <laughs> and Takatora is super angry that Sid gave them the bikes that let them go to another dimension. Sid uh, tries to give him um, a file on the current common Riders, at which point... Uh, uh, the evil man, he kind of pushes it away. No, I'm not interested in that information. And then dramatically, the folder kind of flips to a page of his brother, which he doesn't see. Do we know if he knows that his brother is a common writer at this point? He 100% does not. And his brother, does his brother know that he is an evil common writer? Uh, he kind of starts figuring that out next episode. Yeah, Sid is the only guy who figures out this weird dramatic irony stuff going on because he walks out of the limo and be like, I got my job cut out for me. Well, and by realize this dramatic, like he he's physically handing belts to people, Harry. Like he is organizing the dramatic irony. He doesn't have to figure it out. No, yeah, it's just like Takatara for, he's good at a lot of the stuff he does, but he is kind of like an arrogant asshole. This is definitely showing off some of that. Fair enough. So yeah, uh, episode ends on a cliffhanger. Of uh, now it's three versus two. Durian Rider go to war. So as we start the next episode, we start back on that battlefield uh, where Baron gets immediately backstabbed by his two partners. They introduce themselves. Uh, Hase uh, like says, "All right, I'm just gonna start naming us. Uh, I'm Armored Rider Kurokage, which is like a which in Japanese means like Shadow Lord. He's given himself like a super strong Edge Lord name, <laughs> and then." Uh, Jodachi can't think of one, so he just says, oh, you're Ornak, which is acorn, but just, he takes the AC and puts that at the end. It's basically just a pig Latin thing of his name. And Team Gibes starts laughing when they hear this name. Yeah. And would you believe, Sam, that this was actually the subject of a massive internet fight? Because uh, in <laughs> Jap in Japanese, acorn is Greedon, and so they did the exact same joke, Dongri. And the guy who translated this, Magenta, he decided to, oh, you know, I'll just do, like, the English word acorn and just kind of, it's the exact same joke, but, you know, just obviously so people can understand it. Do you think that's reasonable? Huh. I mean, it's a person's name. I kind of think that's, ooh. Man, that's tricky, Harry. I mean, he didn't change Kurokaje to Dark Lord, but he, but, like, the whole point of the Greedon Dongri thing is that it was, like, a dumb name that nobody cared about. Uh, but it's a name. It's a name. Like, if you're talking about... Mm, damn. 
But would you call it cultural whitewashing? I wouldn't call it cultural whitewashing. I would call it questionable translation. I wouldn't get angry about it, but I actually, I see the point that they were trying to make through, I'm assuming, like, just a whole lot of yelling. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, there's actually another one of those going on that uh, I'll point out later when it becomes also hilarious. Like, the whole part of translation is that you don't know if some words are, like, if they're titles or descriptions or the name of someone. And in the translation, somebody may have made a guess one way that ended up kind of patting them in the ass later. Baron is Baron, right? Like Yeah, Baron is Baron. Alright, I'll say, so the warring driver? Uh, like, that's, like, it's the warring states era, which was like Sengoku era. And mm-hmm. so, uh, because of the way it was written, the translator decided to just translate uh, Sengoku to warring, because, like, you know, it's a big war stuff. Uh, that turned out to be someone's name in the show. Oh. Some people were joking that they may just change the name to Warren Statesman, but I don't think he did that. <laughs> so, in Twilight Imperium, uh, Sam. Like, yes. You're Jodichi. What? No. Yeah, no, no, like, no, no, no. Wait a minute. Yeah, is is Jodichi so, glasses? Yeah, Jodichi is glasses. I am not Jodichi. Harry, I am a solid fucking ally. I'm, I'm Baron. I am the person who, if his coalition actually stays together, wins almost by default. But then no, his coalition you're... falls apart behind him because no, of interpersonal you're... drama, and he gets kicked to the curb. No, you're the vicious asshole who's just standing in the back and being like, all right, we're going to eliminate that guy. It's going to be a great plan. Everyone's going to be on board. And so he and Jodichi start doing that. They rush forward. They beat the hell out of Baron, kick him to the ground. Well, Kota runs out forward and is like, this is kind of mean and shitty. And then Michi says, ah, actually, that's kind of good plan. Take out the enemy one of the weekend. And then they immediately turn on uh, Ornak and Kurokage. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, so that that's uh, Nate and uh, Marcus like just turning on you when you do the obvious betrayal that you've been doing the whole game. I I don't betray Harry. I do not betray in Twilight Imperium. I am a solid ally. All right, you do do some Baron moves. Like, what do you say? Like, all right, yes, you know, yes, just, I'm it's fine. Baron. Just I don't, put together don't. the coalition. I put together the coalition. We fight it out, and if they if they had just fucking stuck with me. We'd have won. We'd have won that game. Just like if these guys had stuck with Baron, I'm assuming they just kind of win. They control the town, and they get to dance the way they want. John Lithgow be damned. Uh, so Team Guy, like, because uh, Kota's a hero, and Michi is pretty clever, he realized, like, hey, these guys are just going to betray us if we join them, so take them out now. Ornak, he kind of says, uh, after Baron is detransformed, he says, all right, now I'm going to crush your belt so you can never transform again. And I kind of had to, you know, stand up and applaud a little bit. Like, yes, yes, good plan. These are fucking dangerous. And if if you can take this out of play, good for you. Yep. But no, Kota and uh, Michi, they they take them down. Uh, there's there's a fighting. Kota swaps between the Loxies he has. Ornak versus uh, Ryugen. That's basically a guy with a hammer versus a guy with a pistol. And neither of them are actually really good at fighting at this point. So that goes how you would expect that to go. But Kota is starting to show that he's actually really good at fighting. Like he, at one point he got disarmed in the early, in the previous episode, but he was just taking on Baron Baronuckle and like fighting him and just he, it in the show because they're all you know uh, young dancers that I could totally see them just uh, quickly adapting and like Kota's quickly coming to the fore here and showing like, hey, I'm actually good at this. Yeah, these are very athletic people, so it it actually makes it tracks 100 percent that they're able to uh, figure these things out really fast. So they lose, uh, their locks get taken. And uh, they run off. And Kota goes to help Baron up. 
Barrett takes that about as well as you would expect. He kind of pushes everyone away, and... They were mere pawns! <laughs> Strength is power to seize what you want by force. It's a sign of who will stand up on top. Ugh. Uh, so he stumbles away, and then we jump to a scene where uh, Mai is explaining to Team Gaim that, Hey, now we're now we're ranked first place in the city, so we really need to step up our dancing. Uh, I, I don't think they do. <laughs> They're tied with Baron, actually. Well, tied for first place with Baron. Yeah. Uh, but the point is, they did not get there because they were good dancers, Harry. They got there <laughs> exclusively because of Pokemon battles and armored soldier battles. I mean, parts of this whole system is explained later. Parts of it are kind of weird. Like, I don't know where Baron gets the money to have their clubhouse, but there's a there's a method behind this madness, even if part of it doesn't make sense right now. Let's assume Baron is a trust fund kid. Some of his dialogue reads very, like, grew up rich libertarianism. Actually, that is 100% disproven by his backstory, but we'll get there. Yeah, okay. But yeah, at this point, uh, the main character... Um being the responsible person he is, he is still kind of looking for a job, being uh, pushed by a sister, so uh, he goes to apply for a position at a new restaurant. Charmant, which is a bakery. Run by... Oh, Harry. Uh, Harry, you... Uh, not it. Alphonse Pierre Oren? Yep. Yes. So, uh, this... He is a big, flamboyant, super gay dude. And by big, we mean, like, uh, this dude's, like, you know, six and a half feet tall. Dude is, like, clearly, you know, 220, 230 pounds. And it's mostly muscle. Like, this dude, this dude looks like a brawler wearing a corset. Yeah, the actor is actually Metal Yoshida, who is a, uh, he is a guitarist, I think, for a, a Japanese metal band. Okay, yeah, I dig it. Like, he, <laughs> it looks like he earned that name. Uh, and he's showing up, and he just comes onto the scene. It's like, ugh, all right, so what? what's your... And he does... I'm not good. I'm going to try to not do a voice. I naturally lisp sometimes. I swear I'm not doing what. But uh, he says, like, all right, what's your birthday? And Kota says, January 30th. Like, ugh, Aquarius. I simply cannot abide Aquarians. <laughs> your response was utterly lacking in esprit, and your fashion sense is sincerely lacking. No, no, no. You're not needed, darling. And so he sends him away uh, based on his birthday. He yells stuff about artistic vision and, you know, requiring artisans, supply material, stuff like that. He's just very dismissive immediately. And Kota is just angry going off to home. Now, Harry, I work with a lot of chefs on a day-to-day basis, uh, you know, working for the food industry. Uh, most chefs I know, like, they hire pretty much anyone on the, off the street if they're just going to be a delivery person. They won't give a shit about them. <laughs> but th- this guy was just coming in to do, like, handiwork, right? He wasn't coming in to work in the kitchen, was he? I don't know. If he was in the kitchen, um, maybe the thing going on here is that, uh, so let's just do the next scene, because it may explain, because at, at home, he's he's bummed. He says to his sister, like, ugh, I got, the guy didn't even ask me about cakes, whatever. <laughs> and then Mai shows up, you know, like, hey, I, I heard you were trying to get an interview, so like, I, I rewarded you with some cakes from Charmant. Well, they go into a little bit of an explanation about how, hey, this is, like, one of the top-rated chefs in the town. He's uh, fully trained in France. Yeah, he he trained as a patissier in France for 10 years, won the Coupe des Mondes, and he's parts of Relais Desserts. And so I looked these up. Super, super prestigious. Like, Relais Desserts is a secret society of 100, uh, like, patissiers from around the world. Like, only a couple years ago did they let somebody from America in. Like the, it's like a secret order thing. You have to be like the best uh, baker in the world for. 
Well, I mean, it's never it's it's all about who you know, Harry. It's skull and bones. Like if you're a certain class of person that you get let in, it doesn't matter how good how good your cakes are. Sure, yeah, but I'm just saying, like, this is, like, legitimately a super high-class restaurant, and it's kind of silly that he, a guy with no cooking experience, was going in for there. Like, uh, uh, Oren might have just seen that and was just kind of, I mean, he's not kind of dismissive guy anyways, but he might have been, like, kind of making fun of, like, a guy. He, he's a jerk, but, you know. Well, wasn't he just going in to be, like, the delivery person? Uh, he, he said, like, a part-time job? I, I don't know. But anyway, we get a little bit more backstory uh, on uh, this chef. Well, uh, we jump around a little bit. And so we see the lead uh, dancer of the Red Hot team. And we see him talking with Sid um, about getting a power up. And we know that Sid has an extra belt. So it would seem that another uh, dance leader is about to get a belt. Uh, there's a brief scene with Baron talking with his uh, second in command, Zach, saying, you know, I was bored with all the foolishness anyway. Uh, this was all the excitement was going to provide. Now the main thing is, uh, ignore Gaim for now. We need to open up the gap between us and third place, so then when we fight with Gaim, we don't need to worry about getting stabbed. And he's doing a little bit more close-up magic as he does this. Do we think the actor actually knows how to do close-up magic? Was this a character trait that he chose to bring in for the character? It's entirely possible. Also, uh, fun fact, this actor, he was actually strongly in the running to be Captain Marvelous. Oh. Yeah, I absolutely see that. Yeah. I like the guy that we got, but I could definitely see this guy as Captain Marvelous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, kind of similar whole situation. We then cut back to the French chef and get a little bit more backstory. Harry, was this guy part of the French Foreign Legion? He was. (laughs) So they they go over his uh, achievements in wartime in a later episode, but he is a ridiculous... He's a mercenary soldier who's famous around the world. He... He was at the French Foreign Legion to get French citizenship so he could learn baking there. Uh, he, <laughs> he, you know, he's fought. He's basically Big Boss, but he <laughs> who retired to make cakes. Yeah, I mean, much much respect. He's lounging in like a silk bathrobe saying, and looking at the fighting on the news saying, Ugh, these amateurs can't put up a good, fi- a good fight. Do children these days really enjoy watching these pathetic games? All fakers. Uh, they need to be taught the true meaning of war. <sighs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, let's get into this a little bit. We talked slightly about this before. Uh, Toki shows don't have the best track record as far as, you know, LGBT representation goes. Is he just kind of a walking, uh, just a walking billboard of, you know, gay stereotypes? Yes, he is. But at the same time, they also made him like the most badass soldier on the show. <laughs> And, like, the most accomplished, like, professional chef ever. Like, I, I'm i not sure what to make of his character as far as, is this good representation? Is this bad representation? It's it's interesting. So I looked it up. Metal Yoshida, as far as I can tell, well, he's married to a woman, for whatever that's worth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was also, like, a classically trained uh, stage actor. Like, he played Peter Pan in, like, a famous role. So I think it's not crazy to think that he's, you know, I think... The, a lot of people have said his portrayal saves a lot of the character. Like, the writing should be bad, but he actually brings something to it that's pretty good. And as the, I'm not going to spoil some stuff that goes on, but there's not, like, really bad stuff that happens with him. Like, he doesn't become, like, a terrible character or anything. Yeah, I mean, just just watching... So he's only been in this one episode, and uh, he's a very captivating character. 
Yeah, he's fun. Like, like he is but, very much not one note, I guess. The show is still kind of winding up, and he is a big flamboyant character to kind of keep things moving while it's getting into some of the darker plot. Uh, so now let's jump to the two, uh, the two dummy common riders, like the Acorn and the Dark Lord, and they are underneath a bridge, like practicing their fighting moves on a a dummy. Uh, so Hase is a big dumb idiot in the whole show, but he, it's almost a side of depth for him because he's made almost like a robot to fire fireworks and water out of it when he presses buttons. Like, I do you think he's like a secret engineering thing that just he can't apply himself, but. This is almost a sign of, like, hey, no, he could be, you know, he, he could su- be successful at that. I mean, but we all know the idiot that can, like, fix anything that you ever hand him. Like, yeah, he's still it, an it, idiot, but, you know, definitely got skills in certain areas. Yeah, I just like noticing these little things. And they're practicing combo moves. Dark Lord, as you're calling him, is mostly just hiding behind Acorn until they get close and then jumping forward and stabbing him. Mm-hmm. Whereas Acorn is kind of, like, ducking and uh, trying to roll away, and somehow getting beat up by this dummy. Jodachi, his only strength is betrayal. <laughs> oh, like, I I feel bad for these guys. These guys are common riders, and it seems very clear that they're also going to be, like, the laughingstocks of the series. Like, they're going to be the bulk of the skull. Like, you know, the people who get their asses handed to them every single episode and never get respect. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, this, the show goes some places. And as they're doing the practicing, they notice a crowd has gathered. And they're kind of annoyed because, you know, hey, this was supposed to be like a private practice situation. What? Uh, who called us over? And then the chef shows up and he says, I called you over. I invited the splendid, splendid audience here so that my debut could be properly appreciated. I'm here to bring a breath of fresh air to your pathetic game. And he pulls out a warring driver. Yeah, we briefly flash back to the previous night uh, when Team Red Hot was uh, at his shop having cakes and they were being assholes. So he beat them all up single-handedly, stole the belt from the leader, and kicked him out. He puts it on and says, Behold, my pageant of death and destruction begins. Mm -hmm. And he transforms with the durian fruit. Yes. And uh, point of reference, durian fruits are very spiky. (laughs) Yes. So he's like a big spiked armored dude like all of the armors have kind of different styling uh so ryugan was like a chinese themed gun dude uh ornak is like a has a hammer and is kind of viking themed kurokage he's called dark lord but he's actually styled exactly like a peasant spearman from uh japanese uh warfare common rider bravo as he's going to be called is a roman gladiator with two giant swords two giant spiked swords they they almost look like chain swords harry and we only get a couple minutes of him fighting here, but he is effortlessly taking these guys down. Like, if we thought Kota knew how, how to fight, uh, this guy is, well, he's he's big boss. Yeah, he's kind of the next level. And, uh, yeah, so that's where the episode ends. And, holy shit, Harry, they've introduced a new Kamen Rider every episode? Yep, uh, there was two in the last batch and three in this batch, and so next batch... Uh, I want to say four, but I think there's no more. Okay, okay. But, like, I, I'm starting to run the combinations in my head, because, yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, these common riders, like, depending on what driver they put in their belts, you know, they they could, in theory, morph into any style of suit, but they would still look unique and distinct, right? 
like kind of their helmet design is distinct to them, but they can just put on different fruits and get their weapons. Like it's it's martial arts, it's weapon styles, it's stuff like that. So yeah, like uh, in a there's a I'll spoil my thing in a later episode. Kota does get the banana. Loxie puts it on. He just gets the spear and stuff. It, it's there's it it's very interchangeable. It's just equipment that they all have. How many combinations of toys and costumes have they had? Do they have to make for the show, Harry? That's that's part of the whole deal. Uh, you know, they they invest with their costumes and stuff like that, and uh, you know, big changes signify important things in the story, which is actually an important point in the next two parter we're going to look at, Pirates of Tango Kaiger, uh, the climax of Act Two. Yeah, 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 yeah. So are we going into Gokai? Yep, let's play the music. Pirate Sentai Gokaiger, episode 37, The Decisive Armament. Now, as the episode begins, uh, we see the Gokai crew uh, taking on some uh, evolved, like, large uh, elites and gormen, and uh, using their car, their new car, uh, to do the finishers on it. Yep, Beck Falcon. Uh, Which, uh, they have the very bare-bones transformation thing, which is just the top of the Gokai Galleon on top of Mech Falcon. Mm Mm-hmm. It's almost like they have a better suit coming and they don't want to bother with this one. <laughs> yeah, so the car, like, after he kills all the elites and Gorman, he kind of turns around and he asks some awkward questions like, Hey, you guys are Sentai. Does that mean that you have an ultimate power too? And the Gokai, they kind of look at each other. You know, we never thought of that. And, you know, he, he just kind of drives away saying, like, eh, Sorry if it was a weird question. Anyway, you know, call me whenever you need me. Mm-hmm. So Chekhov's rifle laced on that mantle. Cut to the gigant horse, where Walsgill is just breaking down at this point. Like, how is it every single time the pirates foil me, everything else in my life has gone exactly according to my wishes? Uh, <laughs> Damaris walks up and like, let's just move on to the next operation. And Walls turns on him saying, silence, did you give me orders just then? Uh, it's at that point that they get a notice uh, that some of his father's elite guard are there. Like, his father being the Galactic Emperor. And uh, they they show up. They look like the Sugarman from earlier, but they're painted red. Uh, these are these are Dogorman. They have a whole separate name. A nice uh, nice easy costume swap. Very distinctive. Like they're like the I mean they're the red guards uh, inside the Emperor's throne room. <laughs> they're they're explicitly a reference to that. Yeah, and uh, they say uh, his Magnificence has commanded us to bring you the greatest weapon in the Zangiac arsenal, the Great Walls. And so the prince, he walks into the uh, bay, and he sees a giant mecha there, like mecha walls. Yep, it's got a big face on the chest. It, it has angel wings and like an arrow, bow and arrow thing. It's it's pretty significant looking. Uh, and they give what kind of a, you know, very diplomatic response here. His Magnificence would like you to take care of those pirates and subjugate the Earth as quickly as possible. <laughs> Yes. Uh, we then cut back to uh, the Galleon, where uh, Marvelous is kind of having an introspective moment. Like, everyone around him is having fun, they're relaxing, Joe's, of course, doing push-ups to stay sexy for his man. Uh, but Marv seems a little a little detached. 
guy is trying to grill him, saying, you know, like, hey, you try to say that, you know, you don't care, you're not saving people, but you're constantly saving the Earth. And Marvelous turns on him and says, like, no, think what you want, but we haven't been defending the Earth, and it's definitely not safe. <laughs> when, when you talked about the defending the Earth from the Zangyak, is this what you meant? And Guy says, yeah, what would that be to you? And Marvelous just kind of walks out and has a flashback to the time when he was saved by somebody killing themselves. And also, like, I mean, simultaneously, it's the same time where, like, a planet was being destroyed, right? Yeah. So his his history with the Zangiac Empire is pretty dark. Like, everyone's history with the Zangiac Empire, pretty dark. Yep, like, everyone here, like, they had their whole planet destroyed, essentially, by the Zangiac. So uh, we jump back up to the ship, uh, the enemy ship, where Walls Gills is very excited. He's, like, jumping, he's almost jumping around with joy. And he's saying that it's time for him to go down and actually get his hands dirty, uh, do the mission, and uh, drive the machine himself. Everyone is against this. Yep. Dabris tries to say, it's a breach of protocol, uh, you're not allowed to do it. And Walls says, like, the protocol's of no concern to me. You think I'm some imbecile prince, don't you? And Dabris says, oh, of course not. And Walkus Gill says, no, I was listening the time you talked to my father. Yeah, we have a quick flashback where we actually see... Uh, are we actually seeing the Emperor here? That is Actos Gil, the Emperor of the entire universe. Wait, the Emperor of the universe or the Emperor of the galaxy? The universe. Oh, Jesus. They're, trans they're transgalactic? Yeah, they're they're everywhere. Everywhere except Earth. Yep. Oh, man. Oh, man, Harry. That's not good. So, uh, he's telling Damaris, Walls Gill will be made commander of the second invasion of Earth. And Dabris is saying, like, are you sure he can handle it? He says, like, no, no, no. The so-called Super Sentai that acted as Earth's defenders are gone, and I'm putting you in charge of his personal welfare. Conquering the Earth should be simple with you at his back. <laughs> and uh, we kind of cut around, and we see the prince just uh, hanging around a quarter overhearing uh, his father and his father's chief lieutenant uh, talking about him. I've tolerated your act so far. Uh, but with the Great Walls here, I don't need any of you. Uh, and he runs off. Just uh, He's alone in a room and Berzorg walks in and he starts talking to Berzorg. And you get a little bit of a sad thing because he's talking to Berzorg like he's a person and his friend. And from what we've seen, we know neither of those is really true. Well, he also, he mentions that Berzorg is his only friend. <laughs> yeah, like, you know... <laughs> He's been surrounded by his by people his whole life that were ordered to, you know, be at his side. And they all thought he was dumb and fit to be a prince. You know, he'd be alone if it wasn't for you. I'll show them all that we are wrong. You'll help me, right? Then Barazark says, I'm the loyal servant of Lord Walsgill. Your wish is my command. Mm -hmm. Now we uh, cut back to the galleon where a guy is in the, uh, the crow's nest of emotional melancholy. Mm -hmm. Joe comes in, says like, hey, uh, you, you seem upset. You're in the right place for it. Uh, are you worried about what Marvelous said? And, you know, Guy is. Uh, so he goes into the backstory. Like, uh, you know how he was in the Red Pirates? Their captain fought the Zagyak to protect him, and he died. So, to a certain extent, you know, he takes the he doesn't take the word protect lightly. Uh, Akarad and the Red Pirates were the scourge of the universe. They seemed nearly invincible when fighting the Zagyak. But in the end, the Zagyak beat them down and killed them. The same goes for the planets everybody else here came from. No one has ever been able to stand up to the Zangyak and come out on top. <laughs> so defending the Earth is going to be as dangerous as finding the greatest treasure in the universe. 
And at that point, they are attacked uh, by Barazorg and a group of uh, a group of Gormen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they jump down. Uh, I'm realizes, oh, that's Joe's former comrade. And Joe steps up, says, "I'm everybody else. Deal with the mooks. I'm taking Barazorg." And they start to fight, and it is very emotional. They both do finishing moves on each other, and it explodes and throws them about. And uh, outside, the Gokaijers are wiping out the Gorman, but the two red Dogorman show up, and like they they have special energy attacks where they like put their spears together and fire the emblem of the Zangak Empire as a weapon, and it starts doing serious damage. Yeah, the they're getting their asses handed to them. These two, uh, they are vast power upgrades. It's clear that you know these are the upper level mooks now, and they're as powerful as any of the elites that have come for these guys before. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they say explicitly they're more powerful than an average action commander. Uh, and like, didn't anyone ever teach you not to judge a book by its cover? To which Luca says, "Eh, sorry, I didn't have a traditional education." <laughs> because Luca is the best. Uh, so they all transform into the extra heroes, like the super powerful mentor characters that they got from uh, Basco a little bit ago. Mm-hmm. And they start fighting. Uh, after a while, uh, the uh, Mega Walls uh, shows up, right? Mm-hmm. Sorry, I uh, kind of lost a little bit of notes here. I was watching this no, no. with Sarah. No, yeah, like there, there's a bit, there's some back and forth between Joe's fight where he's yelling stuff and Berserk saying like, "I don't care about anything you're saying. All I need is my sword to protect Walsgill." And Walsgill shows up in the Great Walls, and like says, "Like <laughs> you prostrate yourselves or die. That's your decision now." And uh, Marvelous says, "Sorry, I never learned how to prostrate for anybody. So you choose death. I will deliver you to the grave by my own hand." And Mega Wall starts to kick their ass, like uh, the Megazord doesn't really stand up to it at all. He knocks away Mech Falcon. He destroys the, like, Magibind thing. He's the first guy to not get instantly killed by Furai Maru, the shuriken ninja mech. And, uh, the Galleon is taken down and uh, Marvelous orders everyone to abandon ship. He activates a control and launches everybody out. Mm-hmm. And in the end, it's just him appalling the Gokai Galleon as it's destroyed by the Great Walls. Well, not destroyed. Like it's taken taken out, but taken out commission temporarily at least. Yeah, it's a uh, knocked down, depowered. It transforms back into the galleon and crashes into the earth. And that takes us into the next episode, episode thirty-eight: the power to achieve your dreams. Dun dun dun! Two-parter. Walsgill at least has the good sense to tell Barazork to go and confirm the bodies. Mm-hmm. Then he runs up to the ship where everyone has has made a celebratory party for his victory. <laughs> Yes, uh, it's a cute scene. And then uh, back on the ground, all the crew, they're searching for Marvelous. They are very distressed. They're also very annoyed at Marvelous for kicking them out of the ship. Uh, they can't believe he was trying to ditch them. Oh, also, uh, uh, when I say the crew, we mean the crew except Joe. Joe immediately is, you know, just running after his boyfriend and quickly loses everyone else. And instead, he meets up with Barazorg and uh, they get to... Pick up right where they left off. Uh, back with the crew, Guy is being very thoughtful, very emotional. Like the the talk he was having with Joe earlier about uh, Marvelous, uh, you know, sacrificing himself for the crew. It's just not sitting well with him. He's not okay with what happened, and he's kind of confronting the rest of the team about why they're okay with what he did. Back to the fight between Joe and Bearzorg. Uh Joe's like, ask, say, like, Sid. No, wait, Bearzorg. 
would Walls Gill put his life on the line to save you? And, and he says, no, it's my job to protect him. It's unthinkable to imagine him risking himself to save me. And Joe nods and says, like, I guess it's totally different then. I'm not going to let you stop me. I have a debt to the idiot who risks himself to save his friends. And they fight again. And during this fight, like, Joe, he's no longer holding anything back. His costume is being disintegrated by Barisorg's attacks, but he's not pulling his punches anymore. And when the fight closes, he takes down Barisorg for good. We cut to Marvelous on the Kokagalian, who is in kind of a... He's passed out on the ground, and he wakes up in a big white space. Yeah, semi-comatose state. And he is greeted by Akared. Mm-hmm. Where he, um, you know, Akared asks why he's there, and uh, Marvelous says, well, I, I had to protect my crew. And I protected my crew the way that you protected me. And then Akared turns and shakes his head, no, but you're not me. You need to do it differently than me. You're not me. The Gokaidras aren't the Red Pirates, you know. Do you think they wanted you to die to protect them, or did they expect you expected you to protect the irreplaceable friendship that you all forged in order to seize your dreams? Isn't that what being a pirate is all about? He wakes up. Navi is uh, trying to give him another concussion, just, you know, bounce it up and down, trying to wake him up. And yeah. he, you know, he shoes away the bird and gets back at the steering wheel. Yeah. Uh, he has a conversation with Navi. He's like, uh, hey, bird, what are we going to do if the Fisangiak fight us, find us again? And Navi says, obviously, we'll fight. By which I mean, I'll fly away and you'll fight. And he's like, uh, Navi. Uh, we cut back down to the rest of the crew. They're still looking for uh, the crash ship. And Guy kind of stops everyone again. Like, guys, are you OK with the way Marv sacrificed uh, himself? At which point, the rest of the crew, they finally say, no, we are not OK with it. We are looking for Marvelous so we can yell at him and tell him to never do that again. Joe has his own uh, flash with so, someone important in his life, but it's in a black area now. Like, I'm, I'm not sure if there's a specific symbolism there, but like the lighting of the whole experience is different because he's talking to Sid saying, like, was I at least able to save your soul? And Sid nods saying, like, you've grown strong, but that's not your strength alone. You found some good friends. Now go back to him. Well, I mean, maybe the difference is, you know, Sid's soul is dead, so Joe was kind of seeing a little bit into the afterworld, where Akared, I've, I've got to assume, is actually alive. Yeah, probably. So at that point, they all start meeting back up. Uh, Joe sees the rest of the crew, and just as the Sangyak show up start fighting them, they get blasted by Marvelous in the Galleon. Yay, good old ship broadside. He then repels down, says, hey guys, sorry I'm late. Ah, uh, did it keep you waiting? <laughs> and uh, th- thanks to your lo- thanks to your loafing around, I got to finish up some business. Now I can start paying you back. Back on the gigant horse, Walsgill has gotten the bad news about Berzorg, and he flips. He does not take that well. His only friend, his only friend in the universe, is dead at the hands of the Gokaijers. He gets in the Great Walls and launches himself back to down to the planet. And it's time to, it's one more big mech fight to go. And a big difference happens this time, because it turns out that the Gokaijers actually have an ultimate power. One that looks just so, so dumb. Yeah, this is pretty dumb. Uh, so, they they all they, they all have their friendship and stuff, and their Gokaiger keys start glowing. And they realize, oh, this is our special power. They turn them, uh, and all three mechs combine, like the Gokai Galleon the Gojujin and Mech Falcon, they become a 
So McFalcon uh, is a living thing, remember, who's like a car. He is like <laughs> torn apart for this transformation. Uh, that's that's the body horror of the Cars universe, Harry. Let's just not think about it. Yeah, like, but his his spine becomes a fist that fires missiles. <sighs> yeah. It's a big pirate robot car drill dinosaur thing. It's just all the weird things that have accumulated so far slammed together. And there's racing flames on it. Yeah, it's pretty extra. It's it's pretty dumb. I like the simplicity of the original, like, giant mech. I'm not sure if they use this that much. Well, I'm assuming they're going to use it at least once more in the finale. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, so they go back to fighting the uh, Mega Walls, and they're actually holding their own now. Walls Gills, he cries to the heavens, Watch over me, Barazorg, and that's, oh, oh, right in the heart. Right in the heart. Yeah, and then he gets shot right in the heart. And the prince is dead. They have destroyed the Megawalts. They have destroyed the prince. They have delivered a huge blow to the Zegiak Empire. Everybody on the uh, gigant horse clenches. And Dabras just turns slowly and looks at the empty throne. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we get a couple scenes like on the, uh, on the galleon, but the real uh, closing scene, the real thing that ends this episode... Is Damaris is down in the wreckage of the Mega Gills, or the Mega Walls, and he's carrying out the body of the prince and looking up at the sky, vowing bloody revenge. Yeah, they set the suit of Walls Gill on fire. Like, Toku doesn't spend money for extra suits, so if they do that, he's not coming back. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah, it's a pretty metal scene. There's going to be some consequences for this. Oh, yeah, yeah. So next week we'll be covering two episodes of this. And, uh, like, I just want, they're not really covered, but I just want you to imagine everybody sitting in the gigant horse, clenching the butt cheeks and be like, what's he going to do when he hears? What's he going to do? What's happening? What? What's going on? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it, it actually, it makes perfect thematic sense for the next couple episodes to be a little bit of a lull, uh, both in a, you know, plotting emotion sense, but also like, oh, yeah, the Emperor... He, it's going to be a couple episodes before he hears about this and responds in what I'm assuming is an overwhelmingly evil way. Uh, so episodes 39 and 40 next week, and they are just uh, like, they're a couple more tribute episodes, uh, but I think kind of a higher quality one. Like, more stuff happens, and it's not just them meeting an actor who gives them a speech. Cool stuff happens. Including them closing like another storyline hook that they left about a decade ago in an emotionally fraught fashion. <laughs> and we'll get into all that plus some more nonsense dance fight uh street wars in Kamen Rider Gaim all of that next week yay